there. Welcome to Raise Her Up, the podcast from the Girls' Day School Trust, the GDST. We are the UK's largest family of girls' schools. And my name is Cathy Walker and I host this podcast. And throughout series one, I have had the pleasure of speaking with some amazing, strong, inspirational women about their lives and areas of expertise. In this episode, I am taking a look back at the moments my guests have spoken openly about mental health. Before we get into it, just to let you know, you can hear all these episodes in full in series one. But for now, this is Razor Up from the GDST, a mental health special. In episode 10, I talked to author and journalist Harriet Walker about whether the message of be kind to yourself might have lost its impact. It has become slightly meaningless, that phrase, because the people who tend to use it online are the ones that also sort of stalk you and troll you and tell you that you're rubbish. I think maybe the, a better phrase would be give yourself some space. And I've mentioned it before, the perspective that you get from setting things down on a page can be really, really helpful just to sort of remove yourself from the moment that you're in, especially if you're someone who is prone to having these sort of very intense, spirally, panicky thoughts, um, which I think are incredibly common. One thing that I have been reading about, which I thought was really interesting, is this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And she talks about getting up and immediately writing out stream of consciousness thoughts. Her theory is that you do it first thing in the morning because you have a 45 minute window before your ego kicks in to deal with the day. And that is when you should be sort of freeing your inner child and your most vulnerable self. And I think also you don't have to be any good at writing in order to get the benefits from it. Should we be writing things down when we feel good? What do you do when you're feeling good? I'm probably not writing them down because I'm probably out celebrating them maybe. Um, <laughs> I think it's definitely worth writing things like that down. I think there's nothing like a list to make you feel better about whatever situation you're in. It gives you a sense of control. And if the type of list you're writing has a sort of negative and a positive to try and balance out an argument, I think that can be incredibly helpful. You know, I grew up in the golden age of, of glossy magazines, and I'm pretty sure that all of them at one point told me to write something nice about myself and stick it on a mirror. I think that's great advice. So do you spot patterns of behaviour when you log feelings? For me, writing things down isn't really about reflecting on progress or any sort of journey or changes. It is purely the act of writing it down. And before we started recording, I was trying to think what I would compare it to. And I can't come up with anything better than squeezing a spot, which I'm afraid. <laughs> I know that's that's really, really unpleasant. But um, that is kind of how I how I use it. If I feel like I have lots and lots of thoughts or worries in my head, I try and write something down. It doesn't even have to be about them. And by the time I've done 15 or 20 minutes, maybe not even that long, they're out of my head. And I feel so much calmer, even if what I've written down is nonsense. Can you share your top tips of how we could be using writing in this way to boost our mental health, especially at this time of the year? Finding some time to be alone is very important. Finding a room by yourself might be a really good thing to do. And whether once you're inside it, you're writing or reading, I think either of those things would be incredibly helpful. It was really interesting to hear how you can use some of your darkest places and use them in a more creative way. So when she said, give yourself some space rather than be kind to yourself, I found that much more powerful and meaningful. Psychologist Dr. Tina Mystery was my guest in episode three of Race Her Up. We spoke about the perennial parenting issue of how to reassure our children and how we can manage our own feelings when we see them going through anxiety and discomfort. 
the teenage brain, as we know, is going through a huge change, both in terms of its wiring and firing, but also its sort of development in terms of trying to figure out how do I belong in this particular social setting? First of all, who am I? And then the second question that often crops up is, how do I fit amongst my peers? What is my position? So as we start to figure out who we are, we're experimenting, we're trying different things, we're trying to work out whether we are socially acceptable. And most of the time, in order to survive, because it is often a survival mechanism that kicks in, if we think about the teenage years, it is about clicks, it's about being part of the right sort of group. You know, we want to belong, we want to be with the cool kids. So we have to then adapt in order to fit in and belong. And this is where we start to see shifts in our children's behaviors. You know, that we might be experimenting with different clothes, makeup, different behaviors, different interests. And if we're not doing the things that are trying to keep up with others, we will soon be sort of picked out or picked upon. And that for the child's self-esteem is hugely detrimental. That's interesting, though, because, you know, you mentioned social media. And if you go on any kind of social media, you are bombarded with kind of motivational quotes. Don't change so that people will like you. Be yourself. The right people will love you. And like many other parents and carers, I want to encourage my daughters to be themselves and to be brave enough to stand out. But does that mean that I'm doing the wrong thing? It's not necessarily the wrong thing. I think that it's a message that usually filters at a particular age when maybe we've really understood who we truly are. And I think that during the teenage years, we haven't really quite figured that out. You know, teenage years is the time for experimentation. It's the time where you color your hair and you might try a piercing or you might do something that isn't to the core of who you are. That is because we're just testing out the water. We're testing out what works for us, what doesn't work for us. And it's only when we get into our sort of late, mid to late 20s that we truly start to understand who we are. And that's when those quotes really start to make sense. And that doesn't quite work at the time. Sadly, we are just trying so hard to fit in. It is really about holding space for that discomfort because that is what we are going through. We're going through a period of transition and transitions are messy. We've got to accept that. What I found really interesting about Tina was that when I first reached out to her about doing this episode, I wanted her to do something about how we as parents could encourage our kids not to follow the crowd and to stand out. And actually, she said, well, hang on a minute. Being part of the crowd is a really important part of growing up. It made me look at this in a very different way. In episode 23, Natasha Devon came on the podcast to share her experiences of being a mental health campaigner and what led her to write her first young adult novel, Toxic. When I'm in schools, I, I do focus groups. And this theme was emerging of girls saying, I'd really like something on abusive behaviour or coercive control within the context of friendship there'd been a fairly recent change in the SRE curriculum. So they were learning about it in the context of romantic relationships. And they were saying, that's great. But actually, I struggle with this, not only in friendship, but in, in the context of a friendship with somebody that I have to see every day, because we go to the same school. So I, I don't have the option to cut them out. So I started thinking about this. And I thought this would make a, a really good story. So this idea about Luella started to emerge. And then lockdown happened. And I thought, I've got some time. The novel is called Toxic. I guess that was a very intentional use of the word. 
Yes. And it doesn't just relate to the relationship that's central to the book. Luella and Aretha, who are the the two main characters, come together and between them, they create this really toxic dynamic. But the other thing that it relates to is right at the beginning, Luella's talking to her therapist and her therapist says to her, our traumas are like little bags of poison. In therapy, you lance them and you drain them away safely. But if you don't, you're just carrying around this bag of poison and one day something could pop it. The theme of toxic, it relates to that bag of poison that Luella's carrying around, which gets burst um, in quite spectacular fashion. And there's a lot of anxiety as well about who gets to control the narrative. You have to acknowledge that this person's done something bad to me. You know, one one of the final revelations that Luella has is that if she carries around a grudge, like the only person you're harming is yourself. You've said that in Toxic, Luella's wider network of friendships see her through. So tell us a bit more about that take on resilience. Female friendship is one of the most powerful things on earth. And Luella is is surrounded by this incredible matriarchy. Her mum is amazing. Her nan is amazing. And there's all these incredible women and the occasional man around her. And that's what enables her to be resilient. And I got really frustrated with the way that resilience as a term was being used in education because it's not really something that you can teach. And it's definitely not a character trait that you can choose to switch on or off. Resilient people are well supported. So it has much more to do with your environment than it does to have you as an individual. And I I felt like we were getting to a stage where we were almost punishing people for not being resilient enough. Again, it's to use that buzzword of toxic, is this really toxic ideology which young people take on so early in their lives. This idea that your value as a person is tied up with perceivable achievements that you have and how hard you work. And people are praised for burning themselves out. Oh, I was watching the most amazing thing on Netflix the other day by Hannah Gadsby. She's a comedian and a sort of performer. And she was saying, my sensitivity is really key to having been a successful creative. And no one ever talks about that. That can be an advantage. I have followed Natasha's career for a while. I'm very aware that she really is a go-to when it comes to important voices in the mental health space. The topic of girls' friendships can so easily be hijacked by the media. So with Natasha's book, Toxic, I was really keen to hear what lay behind it. I spoke to child psychologist Professor Abby Gewertz in episode 15, just after the war in Ukraine broke out. So many parents around us were experiencing that same sense of how on earth can I talk to my child about the atrocities being committed? How can I help them feel safe? What I really encourage parents to do is first to think about what they're feeling, because if we don't take a moment to observe our own feelings, we will let those sweep us away into a reaction that we will probably later regret. Just turn around, take a deep breath, and then come back to it. It may be just enough for you to say, wow, you must be really scared. You know what? I'm going to get us both a glass of water, or I'm going to just put the kettle on. And that gives us time to then pause So it is one thing to pause and to, as you've said before, put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. But actually, it's it's more of a kind of an existential 
threat at the moment. It feels like the world is ongoing scary. Those existential conversations are ones to have with our friends, our relatives, our partner, you know, to take time for ourselves to go for a bike ride or a walk. With our children, the response, first of all, is to help them figure out where they are. So after you've taken that pause, you look really scared. And your child might say, yeah, and I can see that you're scared because actually I can see that you're trembling. And I wonder if you have a tummy ache because I know that when I get really scared, my tummy kind of fills up with um, butterflies. Take a little moment of time to just help your child figure out what they're feeling. And then the opportunity comes to you to validate it. We never had texts, but we had rumors too. And I remember X, Y, and Z happening and I felt so scared. And that helps the child understand that you recognize that what they're feeling is valid and important because feelings are really important signals. We want to jump to the reassurance, but what we lose if we jump straight to reassuring is the opportunity to help them understand that emotions are signals, important signals, and that their feelings are valid. But if we jump straight to reassurance, it's like your child wakes up in the middle of the night and says, I had a nightmare. And you say, oh, I'll get you a nightlight. But without trying to figure out what they're scared of exactly and what they can do for themselves to help calm down, right? And for them to feel competent at handling things. I mean, that's really what childhood's about. It's about teaching kids to feel like they can be independent in this world. The episode with Abby was really just a really lovely, reassuring, albeit, you know, quite poignant way of talking about the ills that can happen in the world and how you can broach them with your children without scaring them, but also without sugarcoating it too much. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes of season two. And you'll also be notified about our next special where we will hear from some brilliant and influential women giving their take on the future of the workplace. From the GDST, I'm Kathy Walker, and this is Raise Her Up.